You're listening to the Restoration Church Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and deep calling to deep. Today's message is brought to you by Lead Pastor Kim Foreman. We see people come in and they go out. They're unable to stay in consistency. They seem to be double-minded, wayward, like a ship tossed to and fro, as Scripture tells us. And we just chalk it up to, well, that's just the way they are. We're puzzled, but we do not have the understanding of why they don't stay the course and why they don't grow and develop. And many times these people that we leave and we meet up with years later, we have progressed and they're still stuck in the same place we left them. So the question is why does this happen? The problem may very well be just what I'm talking about. They have fractured trust. And this fractured trust is in their support wall. And it started in those formative years of birth to five and has affected them in their relationships with others. But most certainly, it has affected their relationship in God. This is a huge key of why some are able to stay at the table and some leave. The scripture God gave me for today is Psalms 23.5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Where there is knowledge, there's power. It is important to disciple people. When I say disciple, I mean get to know them. Especially when they first receive Christ as their Savior. That is really a very important time. Uh, The more we know, the better equipped we are to keep them in their relationship with Christ. And it's going to be self-sacrifice. There's no doubt about it. If they're guarded and they don't easily uh, open up, fragmented trust is probably at work. Maybe the problem. So it's going to have to be a process. It's going to have to take patience. It's going to take persistence. It's going to, we will have to um, just really work at it. But to have this key to know that instead of thinking, well, it's just them. A lot of times we just put it off. It's just them. That's just the way they are. No, we need the key. That is not. God wants them to grow into maturity. He wants them to to continue on with him and not get up from the table and leave. Trust is never given until it's earned. Say that again. Trust is never given until it's earned. How can that be earned? By being consistent, by reaching out to do what you say you will do, uh, make them a priority, model Christian values, don't be one way at home and another way at church. Be who you are. Be of Christ and model it. Be able to bring them into your home. Disciple, have us share a meal. All those kinds of things as God brings in the harvest We're going to have to look at these things and be those things to those people. There can be fractured trust from the very foundations of life. Let's say that your mother was a teenage mother. A teenage mother doesn't know how to take care of themselves, much less a child. Let's say perhaps your parents were alcoholics. You would have fractured trust. Divorce when the child was young. Uh, Mom forced to work, had to place the baby in daycares or multiple babysitters. Perhaps the infant was premature 
and had to stay in the NICU or had to stay in the hospital. Or maybe the infant was sickly and in and out of the hospital. I want you to know there's a lot of trauma that happens to premature babies because they're not held by mama and dad. And we hope that the nurses are great, but they're poked, they're prodded, they're in pain, they're, you know, underdeveloped. They go through a lot of trauma in the hospital. And because, you know, their spirit is there, they need a lot of prayer and a lot of prayer cover. And we hope that our, our nurses are anointed to love them and to care for them. But many times, even in that, can become a fragmented trust. Um, their world does not feel safe, I'm sure. Or what about if your siblings raised you? That happens a lot, especially now. Um, there's reasons in today's life and circumstances that children are, are neglected and abused. It's always been there, but it seems to be increasing. So, it was hit and miss with your basic needs getting met. You were often hungry, you were wet, you were dirty, you were sick. Or you needed to be rocked, cuddled, nurtured, and that never happened. And your environment was dangerous. You fell, you got scrapes, you got bruises. No one was there to give you medical care or put band-aids on your boo-boos. It just, your environment was unsafe. So you along the way, you realized you weren't worth much. And if you were to survive, you had to fend for yourself because nobody was going to do it for you. So you were meant to be an extrovert. Let's say God created you to be an extrovert. But what would happen to a child with fragmented trust? They would become an introvert. You learn you cannot trust others to meet your needs. So, God, um, so you have to meet them so you become God to yourself, actually. And you make inner vows. Like, there is a continual betrayal as you grow up into adulthood. These fractured walls invade every area of your adult life. You would be self-fulfilled prophecies are reinforced by oaths and vows and stinking thinking. I distanced myself from people for a reason. I trusted you, but now your words mean nothing because your actions said everything. But trust yourself and another shall not betray you. Trust is built when someone is vulnerable and not taken advantage of. How vulnerable is an infant? How vulnerable is a toddler, a four-year-old or a five-year-old? Look at all the sexual molestations that are occurring in the developmental years in today's time. Even if the trust wall isn't broken yet, and a four-year-old is molested by a trusted family member, it's like a sledgehammer that hits that wall and it fragments. So the enemy works hard at these developmental years to fracture trust so that, th that um, these individuals will not be able to trust God, the one who created them and made them marvelously, wonderfully in their mother's womb. That is the whole plan. I often feel the work that we do with foster children is repairing that fractured wall. Just by meeting their basic needs, always having food, always having a snack, always being there when they walk through the door, having, making sure that they do their laundry, that they have drawers where their laundry is you know, put away, and that everything is in order and consistent, and it's going to be the same way every day, we probably are repairing their fractured wall. And we may not know this side of heaven, what it did for them later. But just in that, meeting their basic needs to be able to repair 
that which has been fractured. We have an entire generation that had fractured support walls. And the enemy has worked hard at destroying the family to fracture and fragment trust. Trust is huge. But I remember having a vision at Community Church way back when we were in large commons still. And I had a vision during worship that Jesus is a good shepherd and he had his staff and he had his robe and there was a wall standing before him and I watched the wall crumble. And I saw him step over the rumbles of the rocks and he went after that one sheep. And he brought that one sheep back. So it is still that way. But once he brings back that one sheep back to the flock, how do we, the flock, steward that sheep? Which brings me back to Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you be with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So this is a beautiful illustration of how our good shepherd leads us. This is a psalm of David, written as he was a shepherd. And we know very well that David had a very intimate relationship with the Lord in the, in the shepherding. But we also know that by the word that chances are David was illegitimate. So let's think about that a minute. It says that because he was a child of Jesse's concubine is what we feel that it, why he was illegitimate. Because in Psalms 51, 5, he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. When Samuel called for the sons of Jesse, they didn't call for David. He was in the field tending the sheep. David knew God as his shepherd and the one who loved him and kept him and gifted him in music and psalms and helped him to kill a bear and to kill a lion. God was preparing David to be king in the role of a shepherd. Surely he felt the favor of his brothers being the legitimate sons of Jesse and that he was the illegitimate son. But here in Psalms 23, portraying the beauty of our God as a good shepherd, what he did for David, he um, does for his lost sheep, all his lost sheep, those with fractured trust. But we as a flock must love and nurture those injured, abandoned sheep and those lambs as they come into the fold. This determines whether they can stay at the table or we'll leave in verse 5. And again, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you anoint my head with oil. And my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, they put oil on, a, on a, the sheep's head for many reasons. One is because when they're fighting with the other sheep... You know, their heads will just kind of be, be slippery and hit. But then also for the insects, it helps control the insects. Um, but people need to know, these with a fractured trust, they need to know that they have a plan and a purpose. 
and, um, and with them. And, and the very thing that has happened to them, the very terrible, terrible things, that God's going to turn that around for them good and going to give them anointing to break the yoke and help others not have to go through near what they went through. When you give that to people, the lights come on. They have a plan and a purpose. They have a vision. Again, people perish who don't have a vision. Got to have a vision. If your life is nothing but hurt and heartache and nobody's there to tell you the reasons why, that God is the good shepherd. He's been there with you through that. He's going to help you through it, and he's going to give you a, a plan and a purpose to use all that for his good. Jesus is able to heal that fractured trust. But we as his body must continue to bring healing by not only can they trust him, but they need to be able to trust us. How many people are out there that have left the table because they're hurt at the church? They're hurt at the way the church handled them, at the way the church gossiped, how the church uh, uh, shared confidential things that they opened their hearts and they were vulnerable and they shared and somebody went and shared it at the prayer session as a matter of prayer, but it was really a matter of gossip. How many? We have got to do a better job at discipleship. And we've got to have the keys when somebody has a wall that comes up. Um, it's a process. They have to be able to trust him, but they have to be able to trust us too. Um, and a lifetime built up of self-preservation and walls that have protected them, it's going to take some while to hit that wall and knock it down. And how are we going to do that? Through the love of God, through consistency of laying down our lives for another. That is how we're going to do it. So we stay long-suffering. We do not break promises. We celebrate them. And we love them. Even when we feel those walls and they're like, and you can just feel it. I know all of you have sensed it, but you keep on. You know that wall's there, but you know, you make sure you greet them. You look them eye to eye. You say, hey, how are you doing okay? You know, make sure they're of value. Make sure they're of worth. Make sure that you consistently, no matter what you feel, and that wall make you feel repelled. And if you have problems with rejection, it'll make you want to go hide in the corner. Believe me, I've dealt with that for years. But you press forward because the enemy will make you believe things that aren't true and the truth is that fracture trust work against that fracture trust go love on them go touch them tell them good morning how are you is there anything you need so and again the greater the wounding the greater the calling you tell me a life wrecked shipwrecked I'm like, who are you and what are you called to do? And why has the enemy spent so much time to try to destroy you and rob you of your birthright? How many of you love a good story where the underdog rises to the top and the process, uh, in the process he was persecuted, ridiculed, pushed down, pressed down, and time and time again, but at the end... He is vindicated, raised up, and all those that did those great injustices have to submit and bow to him. All of us love those kind of stories. And that storyline has gone on and on and on through all the, <laughs> the Bible. And all of us, we have that love for that story. So it's not the, great, it's not the greatest story ever told was the life of our Lord and Savior. When I think about his persecution, his crucifixion, and then the resurrection, 
There's no ending like, um, like that or comparable to that. No story we've ever seen is anything comparable to the greatest story ever told. And it's not make-believe, and that's so great. It really happened, and we're living the good life because of it. Oh, how I would love to have seen what happened in hell when he descended down there. Wouldn't you have loved to see that? I'm believing I'm going to get to see that sometime. Ephesians 4, 9 says that he also descended to the lower regions of hell. He shook all of hell. What happened in the demonic realm when the tomb was found empty? Don't you know things were rocking and rolling because they thought they had won. So it doesn't matter how many times I see the stone roll away. My spirit stands up. It rejoices. I want to jump up. I want to shout. I move to tears. And I'm just enamored at the greatness of our God and how he triumphed over it all. So when I ponder this scripture that he prepares a table before me in the midst of my enemies, I think about Jesus even sitting at the Last Supper with Judas, the betrayer. But our God knew he was a tool in the hand of God that was going to bring about the very plan and purpose that needed to happen. But how many times have we sat at the table with Judas? Probably all of us have sat at the table with Judas and didn't know they were a Judas. Many times this has probably occurred, and um, those um, who have spoken against us, betrayed our confidences, were plotting division due to vain jealousy, and we didn't have a clue, but the Lord knew. And He was planning vindication. Could be within our own families. Hello. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And as long as we do not get over into sin... When we become aware and we keep our mouth shut, when I say keep our mouth shut, forgive, place them before the Lord to handle them. He works all things out for our good, doesn't he? But too often, now I talk about our carnal nature, too often we get hurt, we get offended, and we end up taking matters in our own hands. Then we blame him because he didn't vindicate us. But we become our vindicator and we get into sin. We put our mouth on it. And that's how we end up becoming our own vindicator. And a lot of times we'll tell our spouse, but that's not good enough. We've got to call our best friend. We've got to tell our best friend what happened. And then what do we do? We make our best friend offended at that individual. And God had a plan in the future to bring that individual with this individual together to do his kingdom purposes. And we just planted offenses in that person's heart. And we brought division and they're not going to get together. And whatever's been either delayed or aborted. Because why? We had to put our hands on it. And then we're like, why hasn't God taken care of that? Because we put our mouth on it. Because we couldn't stay at the table and keep our mouth shut. Ouch. God wants to exalt us. God wants to vindicate us. When we allow him to do so, then he anoints our head with what? Oil. And our cup overflows. And the blessing received by his wisdom and the way he exalts you, you end up teaching and preaching about it. If you can keep your mouth shut. That's the hard part. Keep your mouth shut. Keep your hands off of it. King David in the Psalms is saying portraying the close relationship to God as an honored guest, as a generous and a capable host. 
As a gracious host, the Lord attends to David's every need, showering him with personal care and eternal blessings. David had many enemies, but in the presence of the Lord, seated at his table that posed no threat because David had great rights with the Lord in the ancient days, one of the things that a host was obligated to was to protect their guest at all costs. We see that in the story in the Sodomites trying to get the angels of the Lord when they were in the house of Lot. He's willing to give you know, his daughters. We hear the same story with uh, Benjamin and his concubine and um, you know, being uh, put up for the night by an Ephraimite. And the Ephraimite was willing to give his virgin daughter to those that were seeking to have sex with the Benjamite. We see that there was just a cultural, you took care of your guests. Whether you had enemies or not, you would die protecting or give your daughter to protect. But Psalms 23 begins, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The Psalm's central theme that David lacks nothing is reinforced in every line of Psalms 23. This is David's acknowledgement that God is always with him looking out for his good, even in the darkest valley of the shadow of death. Even in the most challenging circumstances, David lacks nothing because his God is with him, supplying every need and looking out for his welfare. And that is our God. And here we are under the new covenant. And Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us day and night. What a greater day we live in than even David. Paul in the New Testament in Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of the glory in Christ Jesus. God's constant provision and protections echoes in Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. He says in Ephesians 3.16-19, I pray that from His glorious unlimited resources, He will empower you with inner strength through His Spirit. And then Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust in Him. There's that word trust. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people showed how wide, how long, how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ. And though it is too great to for understanding fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. That's a powerful scripture. So when we are invited to someone's home for dinner, we do not go into the refrigerator and help ourselves, right? We depend on the host to place dinner on the table for us. We wait to be offered the food and the drink. And the statement, you prepare a table before me, highlights David's total dependence on God. And the same God who spread a table in the wilderness for the children of Israel by pro uh, providing daily manna. Hebrews 4.16 says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There will be receive mercy and we will find grace to help us whenever we need it the most. We need to stay seated at the table. 2 Peter 1.3 says, again, you prepare a table before me, means God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. God is our gracious and bountiful benefactor for both our bodies, our souls, for all times and eternity. I sometimes think about God's perspective from heaven. 
Ben was supposed to. We're supposed to be seated with him in heavenly places. And we're supposed to see things from where he sees things, but we don't. Because we are constantly, you know, with our culture and the climate and the things going around us, we become earthly-minded and our carnality hangs out. But think about God, who probably, Satan is merely a tool in his hand. You know, these things that we whine and complain about are nothing to our Father. And so he's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's our creator. He created all things. When he looks down at us and we're tossed to and fro from the hardships of life, instead of pressing into him, declaring his goodness, we whine, we complain, we go into unbelief and have activated hell to sabotage and delay the provision that's being prepared to be released to us. He has it all. He has a plan. Just stay the course and keep your mouth off of it. <laughs> Shut your mouth. You know, I don't ever think about the Israelites because they saw the Red Sea and the, the, they were complaining about manna, so they had all the quail. I would have been right in there with them. You know, so I, I don't ever think I'm better. I always think I'd be right there with them. I might have been like the sons of Korah. I mean, you know, hey. So he has it all, and he sees that he has it all. So like David, we can uh, be amongst our enemies and uh, with the table that's prepared for fine dining, provision, deliverance, revelation, everything. He has made a way where there is no way if you will stay seated at that table. What is that table? That table may be fractured trust. That table may be betrayal. It could be financial devouring. It can be victimization. It can be injustice. It can be depression. It can be loss. It can be grief. It can be a death. It can be sickness. It can be covid it can be wicked leaders in leadership. It can be job loss. It can be all the circumstances of life. And sometimes we choose not to sit at the table or we sit down and again we get up. This table is about his word. It's about faith. It's about worship. It's about trust. It's about encouraging. It's about being connected to the body of Christ so that we can encourage each other. When we're going through those seasons and things are happening, we need one another. This is a time we need to walk with people and we need to encourage people and we need to be there to listen. Sometimes not to say a word, just to let them talk and just to be there and then pray with them at the end. Um, And not running away. Yes, it's painful and you may not understand. But if you will trust, trust that in the midst of your enemies, in the midst, he has prepared a table and he will anoint your head. When this is over, you're going to come out with the anointing. When this is over, if you'll stay the course and you will push into him. I don't care sometimes if you're crying at the altar or you're on your living room floor crying out and just, I don't know what you're doing. It hurts. But, but I know that you're going to make a way and somehow this is going to work character in me. Somehow you're going to do good within me. You know, the greatest thing Job did in the whole story of Job, even though God lifted the hedge, was though you slay me, yet will I trust you. It's the greatest story in Job. He trusted God in the most... Without a life of worship, without a life of prayer, and His Word in your faith, you will wax thin, and you will not be equipped to press in and to stay at the table when you are in that place where your enemies are coming against you. Sometimes circumstances, our enemies are so intense, all we can do is sit, believe, pray, and trust. All of us have been there. Every one of us have gone through such trials and tribulation that the only thing I can do is pray in the Holy Ghost and wrestle 
I don't understand this, but I know that you are he who sits on the throne. And somehow, somehow, this is going to work out. This has not caught you off guard. You never sleep nor slumber. You knew this was happening. You allowed this to happen. It's a lifestyle. It's a cultivated lifestyle in the good times and in the hard times. Our spirit has to continually be built up. If we don't build up our spirit when these bad times come, we will go over into the flesh and we will leave the table. You know, the Proverbs, um, Proverbs 6, 6 through 11 about the ant. We need to be like the ant. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. He is no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provision in the summer and it gathers its food at the harvest. Good times, many enjoy the good life with no regard to God. But let the bad times hit and they're coming to seek you. They need prayer. They're even starting to pray for themselves. But in the... In the good times, they should have been storing up like the ant. And I'm glad that this congregation has a cultivated life, that they love God. He is their all in all. But that way, when the bad times, I'm not saying that we're not going to need one another, and we're not going to do some crying, and we're going to not understand, but together we're going to know that He is on the throne, and He is in control. So we don't need to neglect... The world and the worldly ways pump up our soul. Our soul is selfish. It has selfish demands. When the trials and the tribulations come, we will not stay at the table that God has prepared for us. And we will become famine-stricken. I often think when, um, about the story of Joseph. You talk about a story. It's a story of a table prepared in the midst of your enemies. The enemies being his very brothers. Now think about this. Joseph couldn't help. He was favored by his father. He couldn't help. He was given a coat of many colors. He's just a young lad. He couldn't help that his father loved Rachel above Leah. It wasn't his fault that, you know, that was his, his daddy was lovesick over, over Rachel. And uh, he was their firstborn. So he was a blessing to Rachel's barren womb. So you know that Jacob and Rachel just oohed and awed over their child of love. Their little love child they were like enamored over. Wasn't Joseph's fault in any way, was it? And not even when Reuben, the firstborn, I mean, Reuben had the whole inheritance placed upon him. It wasn't Joseph's fault he went and slept with Bill Hall and defiled, defiled that whole situation. He lost the inheritance. It wasn't Joseph's fault that it went on him. So it wasn't Joseph's fault that God gifted him also with a dream. He's a dreamer. His brothers called him, oh, here comes a little dreamer. He had vivid dreams. He didn't ask for the two dreams about, you know, the sheaves of wheat and that the 11 stars. And I mean, it really the meaning was the brothers were going to have to bow to him. Um... It just infuriated them. They were infuriated with jealousy. So to throw him in a pit to sell him off as a slave to the Ishmaelites, wow, it don't get any worse than that. And I want you to know he was 17 years old. Talk about slave trafficking. He was slave trafficked. But the truth was they were plotting to murder him. So it wasn't even just let's sell him. 
It was at first, let's kill him. In fact, they wanted to murder him, and Reuben saved him, actually, from being murdered, but agreed for him to be thrown in a pit. Well, hey, that's a pretty bad death, too, if nobody knows you're in that pit, and you have no water, and you have no food. And Judah, of course, Judah, Judah always has money at the root of their heart like Judas. Judah goes, oh, let's sell him for 20 pieces of silver. So Reuben did return later to the pit. I mean, he must have had a change of heart. I know, and if you study Reuben, Reuben ends up becoming his brother's keeper. And through all that he lost, Reuben becomes a pretty good guy in the end game. But Reuben did return to find him gone. Joseph was, again, 17 years old. He was sold for 13 years later when Joseph was 30. This is when he interpreted Pharaoh's dream, followed by another seven years of famine. In the second year of famine, that's nine years after Joseph's interpretation. So he was 30 when he was made second in command in Egypt, 30 years old, sold into slavery at 17. Joseph's brothers come to Egypt to get food would have made him 39 years old. Jacob was 91. So 26 years later, estranged from his family, Joseph sat at the table in the midst of all his enemies for 13 years, really 26 if you think how long he was away. Potiphar's house, the prison, the injustice. He was a servant, falsely accused. He went to prison for two years. And the very gift that got him sold into slavery released him from prison, the interpreter of dreams. Fractured trust. Do you think maybe Joseph had some fractured trust? Do you think maybe, so let's talk about it. Don't you know he had to deal with bitterness, unforgiveness? Don't you know trauma? Let's talk about the trauma. He was eight years old when his beloved mother died, giving birth to Benjamin. Eight. That's a baby. That's what, second grade? Eight years old when your mama dies. So he already had that trauma from the death of his mother. And he had betrayal, the ultimate betrayal. Not just one brother, but ten, all in agreement. Talk about feel alone, estranged. But God knew the very one they sold, even plotted to murder, would be their deliverer, the one to save them from famine. Yet as I thought about covenant breaking leads you into famine... Yet there's probably no greater covenant breaking in the Bible than the ten brothers plotting to murder you in jealousy. And again, we will never know this side of heaven, the pain and the suffering that Joseph uh, endured being removed from his family in such a tragic way. He must have wrestled with God. And God was his only source. I can remember going through something with one of my spiritual daughters and her whole life was breaking. I said, I said basically, I was telling her, don't leave the table. And she said, where do I have to go? Once you have God, there's nowhere to go. There's no one. I mean, he is the all in all, especially the, the greater the pit, the more you know him, the more you call out to him. I'm sure that he leaned into his dreams. He was given that somehow, someway, God would cause it to come to pass. And in his suffering, he knew his God, and through the crushing, the pain, the agony, God was creating a character in him to make him second 
in command over Egypt. And remember that Egypt is one of your worst. When you're thinking about uh, idolatry and magic and sorcery and witchcraft, Egypt is at the top of it. So God had to build such character in him that he could be second in command. So the character of God had to be there. Egypt means slavery. Joseph became a slave. And that place of bondage, he knew his God. And God was able to raise him up. God was able to raise him up as a deliverer. Provision for the multitudes because as a dream interpreter to stockpile grain because famine was coming. And he would save the very people who enslaved him. He completely saved his entire lineage. Now that is a superhero story, if I've ever heard one, right? And I love, I love the story when he revealed himself to his brothers. You know, and Benjamin kept behind. Don't you know there was rejoicing? And what about precious Jacob finding out that his son was alive, but went from the pit to the palace? And then, but all those years he was sitting at the table... In the midst of his enemies, God was preparing him for leadership and to keep his family alive, to preserve his lineage. His ways are higher than our ways, aren't they? This is a table of trust. To know your host has prepared a table in the midst of your enemies. I wonder when we get to heaven, and I know this, this is going to happen, that we're going to be able to go and say, okay, I want to see the archives. Show me the archives. You know how we can go back and look at history and go to the library and look at things. I know in heaven we can sit back and say, show me. I want to see the precise moment when those brothers realized that Joseph was his brother. And I really want to see what happens when the brothers got to go home and tell daddy what they had done to their brother. I want to see that, don't y'all? Oh, yeah, yeah. I want to see those things. Oh, my gosh. And then I want to see the family reunion of when Jacob came and saw his son Joseph again. What an awesome, awesome rejoicing there had to be. Not only in our hearts as we read those stories, but can you imagine what heaven did? Don't you know the angels that were watching knew that God had a way? And we don't know, did the angels know what was going to happen? But I'm sure a lot of times the angels just obey. But don't you know even the angels were rejoicing? So with God... We always win. And if we will stay seated at the table He has prepared for us, no matter how uncomfortable it is or how long it takes, if we will trust Him, totally trust Him, He will work out all things for our good and He will pour His anointing upon our heads and our cup will overflow. He will position us far above. I love the scripture that says He'll make our enemies our footstool. It will happen if we can keep our mouth shut and we can stay the course and lean into Him. We've got to realize it's not about flesh and blood. These are strategic levels of warfare happening with the demonic realm to try to sabotage, abort, and steal your birthright. So if you can get that in your spirit that people are just a pawn or they have a wounding and the enemy's working through them to cause you to lose what you have or get you to get up from the table or put your mouth on it. And if we can really see that as the demonic in our heart knows, man, that devil, that devil... 
How great is the voice of those afflicted and persecuted when they cry out for those who have been their persecutors. That's the same thing with Christ. Forgive them for they know not what they do. Let me tell you, you take someone that keeps their mouth shut and they go through great persecution and they've been talked about, lied about, dishonored and they fall before their Lord and with an open heart they ask God to forgive. I promise you those prayers go right up to the throne of God and they are answered immediately. There's no warfare happening because that is a, that's a powerful anointed prayer. I can remember when we were working with a little girl and we had a youth group in Lakeview and this little girl had been molested by her mother's boyfriend for a, a number of years. And uh, he had finally, she had told and um, he had gone to prison. And we were praying and I was teaching on forgiveness. And uh, she was like, I, I can't, I can't forgive him. I can't, I can't, I can't. And then the Lord, as I was praying the prayer of forgiveness, she actually heard, she heard hail. And she could hear the cries in hail and the gnashing of teeth. And this 12-year-old began to weep bitterly at the altar. And she, I said, what do you want to do? She said, I have to forgive him. I have to forgive him. I don't even want him in that place. And so we were able to walk her through forgiveness, and she sent a letter to him in prison, and he received salvation. That's God. That's the power of God. Amen. Powerful, powerful things God can do. So I think about mothers, and then I'm going to close with this. I think about mothers and fathers, too, who have been dishonored, stolen from, Yet with a mother's heart, they never quit praying. They never quit believing for their children. They've seated at the table for years, and their children are their enemies. Yet they've trusted. They believe. They've, they've, they've been stolen from. They've given. They've learned the principle of enabling and empowering, and now they're empowers, and they're no longer giving, but they stand, and they believe, and they trust God. Um... It's cost them everything, but they will not get up from that table because of the way they love their children. And through all of that, what has God done? God has produced character in them, great character to trust Him, to know Him. And they have laid that child finally, after all of putting their hands on it, all the rest of them, they finally laid that child at the altar, and they're believing that, you know, God is going to resurrect, cleanse, and heal that child. That is a beautiful portrayal of our children and our love for our children when they're wayward. If we can stay seated at the table and we can believe God to bring healing and to bring cleansing and to restore. And again, what do we say in the beginning? He restores all things. So again, Psalms 23, 5 reminds us that He can and will do everything to provide what we need, when we need it, until our soul, our very soul, is satisfied. God is awesome. And I want to think about the last of the whole. Um, at the end of the Psalms 23, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So let me pray that we can stay seated at the table. And that we can help others stay seated at the table so that they may grow. 
So, Lord, we come before you, and, Father, we want to trust you. Lord, in this day and this hour, God, we lean on the fact that you chose us for this time and this season. Father, we thank you that you put us in this great nation, a nation that is in covenant with you. And, Father, we trust that that covenant and your mercy supersedes everything that we see and we hear. And, Lord, so we sit at that table. And, Father, we trust that you're working things, all things good for our nation. And, Lord, even in our families and even in our relationship with you, Lord, we ask that you help us to stay seated at the table, that you help us in the good times press into you and stay in your word and stay in worship. And, Lord, that we're like the ant, that, Father, we store up because, Lord, we know that, Father, that times, bad times, wildernesses, winters come. And, Lord, we want to be able to stay seated at that table and walk in righteous ways. And, Father, not have unrighteous words. And, Father, not sabotage the very thing that you want to bring about, God. We want to take our mouths and shut our mouths. And, Father, begin to declare and decree the goodness of you and that you're going to work all things out for our good. And you're going to make a way where there is no way because you're the way maker, O God. And so, Father, we lean upon that. We lean whether our enemies are raging that, God, that you laugh. You laugh on your throne at the derision, God, that you are more than able, God, to make our enemies our footstool. So, Father, we ask that you help us to stay seated at the table, that you help us to stay the course of faith, that, Father, even in our prayer life, no matter what we see, that, Father, you want to restore all things. You want to redeem all things. And so, God, help us. Help us to speak words of life. Help us to not backbite and murmur. And Father, again, help us to not sabotage or vindicate even when we're offended, even when we're hurt. God, even when there's injustice, Lord, let us know that if you were persecuted for righteousness' sake, we will be persecuted too. But if we will lean into you and we will pray for our enemies, that God... You will do over and above and you will pour oil out on our head and we will be anointed. And Father, our cup will overflow. And Lord, we ask this as Restoration Church in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen, amen. Thank you for listening to the Restoration Church podcast. If you would like to watch our message live or looking for more information about our church, visit us, follow us on Facebook, Restoration Church.